it's it's Julian Assange and WikiLeaks that have returned honor to to journalism. Julian is a truth teller, and that's what has upset the those who continue what Goebbels called the big lie. of the third man and uh, that was uh, John Pilger at the very top and I'll talk about that in a second. I'm Randy Credico and this is Randy Credico live on the fly on 99.5 FM WBAI WBAI.org also Assange Countdown to Freedom. Um, I mentioned John Pilger because John Pilger when he found out that my guest today was Niels Melzer who is the special rapporteur on torture at the UN was going to be on the show. Pilger said to me, he says, Nils Melzer is probably the most important expert witness to Julian Assange's suffering and total innocence of anything except good journalism. Nils Melzer has so many credits. If I were to enumerate them, we would be here for another week. So let me get right into it. Uh, welcome uh, back uh, to the show, uh, uh, Mr. Melzer, Professor Melzer. Thank you very much, Randy. Good to be back. It, it's great to have you on. Now, you came onto the scene, uh, the Professor Melzer, uh, back in 2019, back in May and June. Uh, you know, how did you first get involved? Because you had already been uh, with the UN for three years at that point, and uh, you did not get involved. But what what uh, triggered your involvement in the Assange case? I was actually first contacted by Assange's legal team in December 2018. That would be about two years ago. Uh, Assange was still at the Ecuadorian embassy at the time. I had never really worried about his case. Um, and 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 they they contacted me and said that his living conditions had turned you know had become a form of cruel inhumanization and, 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 and degrading treatments and they wanted my intervention and I remember distinctly it was just about exactly two years ago just before Christmas and I was working on my report for the UN and I, I see this message popping up on my screen as, like Julian Assange's lawyers want your protection and. I immediately had this visceral reaction of no, I'm not going to get involved. I'm not going to get manipulated by this narcissist and rapist and hacker and spy and traitor. And I had all these 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 um, uh, names popping up in my in my mind, basically of you know how bad a person Assange was, and I basically just refused to get into this case and out of my sight, out of my mind. And uh, what was really interesting is that I never even asked myself where, where I got this knowledge from that Assange was a rapist and a hacker and a spy. And so his legal team actually had to contact me again three months later in March 2019 
uh, and they said they were really worried he was going to be expelled from the embassy soon. And uh, they sent me some pieces of evidence along. And then I kind of remembered three months ago, I just had refused to get into this case. What actually had triggered my emotional reaction? And then I realized I had been under the influence of a kind of a public narrative that had been pushed for a decade through the press uh, that that described Assange as, as all of these things, so the rapist, the narcissist, the, 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 the spy, and the hacker. But that actually, uh, I had never even verified that information. And I started to open the evidence in front of me. And as soon as I scratched the surface of the case, I realized that there was nothing to back up this narrative. It had actually been created in order to demonize him and to, to mobilize the public opinion against him. So everybody would just look at Assange and his you know, alleged uh, misconduct, but no one would actually look at what he had exposed, which is the elephant in the room, which is the misconduct of the state, where we're talking about war crimes, aggressive war, corruption, and other misconduct. And the effect of creating this narrative of of you know the suspected rapist and, and hacker and so on, uh, that that basically pulled public attention uh, on Assange and, and 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 nobody worried about what was really important, which was the conduct of the state. I see. So uh, you mentioned you wrote an article uh, on May twentieth, in two thousand nineteen. You went to visit him. You went to visit him uh, in in Belmore's prison. You wrote an article. And you, you use the word mobbing in the article. What, what did you mean by mobbing? And uh, what part did both the government and the uh, media play in this mobbing? Yeah. Well, to be very honest with you, you know, as soon as I started realizing something's wrong in this case, I felt I had to go and visit the man. It, it, the case is so politicized, it's not possible to have an objective assessment without actually going to the place seeing the man, and I took two medical doctors with me, a forensic expert and a psychiatrist, both of them independent from the UN, and very experienced, specialized in examining torture victims. And I took them along to make sure that I had an objective assessment. So we examined Julian Assange for four uh, hours on the 9th of May, 2019, and I, I also talked to him bilaterally. And we all came, three of us independently came to the same conclusion that he showed all the symptoms that are typical for a victim of psychological torture. And now psychological torture is not torture light. It really is a, a way of, a, a, a form of ill treatment that aims at destroying a person's uh, 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 self-confidence, uh, orientation, sense of individuality, and, and can lead to nervous breakdowns, uh, you know, uh, heart attacks, and in the end, uh, you know, also a very high suicide risk. Um, it's always the same patterns. You're isolating a person, then you're demonizing them, humiliating them, threatening them, uh, and, and in the end, the, the person has no longer a normal frame of reference for a healthy life and basically internally collapses and the perfidious thing about it is um, it doesn't leave any physical traces. So, uh, so, so, so that really is what we observed with Assange already in May 2019. And I have to ask myself the question, what is the cause 
for this, uh, for these symptoms. And now in Assange's case, it was fairly easy to identify because he had been locked up in a room in the Ecuadorian embassy for more than six years. And so nothing else could have caused these effects than what he had experienced in that very room. And he was exposed to, to just a handful of factors, um, the harassment of the staff at the Ecuadorian embassy, the constant threat of being extradited to the U.S. and, uh, and, and tried, uh, you know, in secret at the espionage court in Alexandria, and then uh, put in a supermax under uh, special administrative measures for the rest of his life, which basically means total isolation, uh, and, 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 and not to have the right to defend himself, you know, in due process, as would be provided by the law. Uh, so... The psychological torture, the effects you see, it, it's very clear. Uh, do you think he will recover in his lifetime uh, from the effects of all of this, from the psychological torture? What, what I can see, I mean, I, uh, he's a very resilient person, obviously. I mean, the, the, the fact that he's still alive after 10 years of persecution um, is a miracle. And I'm not saying that, you know, I'm saying that as someone who has visited I mean, literally thousands of, of detainees and, and prisoners in, in, in war areas and in, in secret service uh, prisons all around the world. So I, I know what I'm talking about. So I mean, Julian Assange is obviously a very intelligent and resilient person, uh, but he will certainly remain traumatized for the rest of his life. Uh, this is very grave what has been done to him. And I think it, it deserves to be exposed. Why in this day and age are fundamental moral issues uh, of uh, freedom and justice that Julian's case exemplifies, uh, you know, relegated, uh, you know, to uh, something that doesn't matter anymore? Well, I think it's, it's, it's an emblematic case that is of utmost importance for, you know, for the United States, for us in Western Europe, for, for everybody in the world at large, if you want to defend uh, you know, the values of, of individual freedom, individual fundamental rights, uh, freedom of speech. Um, uh, Julian Assange, you know, it, it's not a question whether you like the person. It is, it really is, this is not an issue. You know, he has friends like everybody else has. And, you know, I have friends that like me and I have people that don't like me. That's not the issue here. The question is, did he do anything wrong? And when we see what he did is that he explained Exposed uh, enormous amount of information that provides evidence for serious misconduct by government officials, not only in the United States but around the world, and also CEOs of, of powerful companies. And now, do we, as an ordinary citizen, citizens, have an interest to know that? Well, I believe so, because we're financing this whole thing. We're paying taxes to our government, so they represent us, and they actually protect our interests. And I don't believe, you know, that the interests of the normal American people, just as, you know, the Swiss people or the German people or the people anywhere else in the world, is that their armed forces go out in the world. And if some, some soldiers commit war crimes, that they should be prosecuted, obviously. They're, they're criminals, just like any other criminal. They don't deserve to be, you know, to get impunity, because we should not identify with, with, you know, soldiers that don't do their job properly. And that's exactly what happened in this case is that 
we have, you know, uh, people just like, you know, some of those soldiers in the, the, the collateral murder video that, you know, killed without any necessity, uh, uh, wounded uh, 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 people in, in, on the ground that should have been protected by the laws of war. And this never came to the public uh, uh, and, uh, until uh, Julian Assange actually leaked or actually published, I'm sorry, published a leaked video uh, uh, illustrating and demonstrating uh, this war crime. And this is just one example of, of you know, thousands of documents he published that are very, very important for us to know what the powerful are actually doing with our tax money. And is this wrong? Well, if this is wrong, then investigative journalism is wrong. Then the Pentagon paper, papers were wrong. Then, you know, all these, uh, then exposing the Holocaust is wrong, you know, but I, I think it's, we have to be very principled here. Exposing war crimes, exposing misconduct is not treason, is not uh, espionage. It is the very purpose of investigative journalism and investigative journalists that do that are our friends. We absolutely need them for the sanity of our society. You know, uh, I totally agree with you. I, you know, I last spoke to you, uh, as I said, back in January, just prior to the uh, first uh, round of uh, hearings uh, at Belmorris. Uh, what was your impression? Uh, what were your thoughts uh, seeing all of this unfold? Well, what we can see is a, it's a playbook, right? I mean, Julian Assange has been prosecuted, but I would say persecuted for 10 years. And why do I say persecuted? Because when prosecution is used for political purposes, then it becomes persecution. That's exactly what happened here. It happened in, in Sweden, where the Swedish prosecuting service um, intentionally um, uh, misused a, a, a case where women, have, women came with some complaints to the police because they wanted uh, to get an HIV test from, from Julian Assange. That's all they wanted. They didn't want to report any, any offense. And the police intentionally created a rape allegation out of this, took it out of the hands of the women against their will, uh, and, and, and pushed a, a rape suspect narrative, which they then maintained for 10 years in order to demonize him in the public, in the public opinion, without giving him uh, a, a opportunity to properly defend himself. Now, this is consistent with then what happens with, with, uh, with, with Britain, um, in the, the British proceedings, where you can see that consistently in all stages of all proceedings, his procedural due process rights are being severely violated. And I'm a professor at a British university in Glasgow. I, I mean, I, I was even proud of the, 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 the tradition, uh, you know, of the rule of law tradition of the British judiciary. And I couldn't believe with which kind of how uh, relaxed uh, the, 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 the British authorities are um, about violating Julian Assange's procedural rights systematically and severely, and even don't you know, provide any redress when there are complaints. When we're talking about violations, we're talking about a defendant who's about to be extradited to the most powerful country in the world, who has an army of lawyers you know, put up against him, he doesn't have access to his lawyers. He doesn't have access to legal documents. He's put in the solitary confinement. 
where he cannot communicate with the outside world and he cannot prepare his defense. Now, we, I think we all agree that even the worst criminal that deserves a fair trial, but he's not even a criminal, he's a journalist, and he, he cannot even have you know, his basic fundamental due process rights protected. And I'll give you an example uh, to compare. Julian Assange is being held exclusively, not to punish him for anything, he's not a convict, he's held exclusively for preventative purposes, so he doesn't run away during the extradition proceedings uh, to the United States. So the only need to keep him safe somewhere is to prevent his escape. Compare it to the case of Augusto Pinochet, the former dictator of Chile. He was in London when the Spanish and the Swiss and the French governments asked for his extradition because of crimes that had been committed during his dictatorship. So he was in extradition detention for you know, one and a half years or so in London, and the British authorities gave him a house arrest in a noble villa, villa where he was visited by Margaret Thatcher and, and other you know, guests, and he, he had no limits on receiving visitors. He was able to communicate freely, and that's exactly the type of regime that Julian Assange is entitled to. Uh, he's not a convict. He's not being punished for anything. But he's being kept in isolation, not because it's necessary or proportionate or lawful, but because the states want to silence him. That is the aim. This is how they reveal what the real motivation is behind all these proceedings. And that's the same in the US, the UK, Sweden. They're all on the same side because they are all interested to silence WikiLeaks to, to silence Assange, not because they're committing any crimes, but because they're exposing the crimes of the government. He's basically spent two years in prison and he hasn't been convicted. And prior to that, seven years in, uh, in that embassy. Uh, so nine years he's been imprisoned and he's never committed a crime. And it is, it's preemptive uh, detention. They don't want him out there doing what he does. Um, and it, you know, what really bothers me is that you've got, why doesn't the British government um, at least consider, you have Human Rights Watch, you have Amnesty uh, International, you have re Reporters Without Borders, you have these UN panels, uh, your, your crew uh, at the UN, all speaking out these heavyweight NGOs, uh, and yet they have totally steadfastly refused to give in at all. It's for political purposes. I mean, uh, to, to be absolutely correct, we have to say that Julian Assange spent six months actually as a convict, uh, the first six months in the British prison in 2019, because he had violated formally the bail conditions of the British judiciary seven years earlier when he sought asylum in the Ecuadorian embassy. But that too, you know, I mean, uh, <laughs> he, he didn't, he was under a bail condition of the British courts with regard to the Swedish extradition case, an extradition case where the Swedes just last year had to admit they never had evidence against him and they actually had to close the entire nine-year investigation for rape allegations uh, because they never had sufficient evidence even to, uh, to, uh, to charge him. So he's never been charged. He's never, there has never been sufficient evidence for that, but they maintained this narrative for nine years. And uh, so because 
Julian Assange obviously was aware of this, and he knew that he was not being extradited to Sweden for a fair proceeding about rape allegations. This was, he feared, about Sweden wanting to fast-track his extradition to the U.S., because they have a specific provision in their extradition treaty that would allow them to actually uh, 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 to temporarily surrender him to the United States without a proper extradition proceeding. Julian Assange knew that, and so he wanted the Swedish to guarantee uh, that he would not be extradited on to the, to the U.S. He wanted to come to Stockholm to defend himself against these rape allegations. He said, there's no problem, I'm going to come along uh, but I want you to guarantee that this is not about sending me onwards to the U.S. And the Swedes always refused to do that. And so he, he, he got suspicious. And so you're absolutely right. What we see here is really that states are acting. It's a, it's a typical political persecution where states are not acting according to the law, but they're abusing the legal institutions in order to persecute someone that they perceive for political purposes to be an inconvenient dissident. Professor Melzer, I, 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 you have been one of the, the biggest champions, vocal, eloquent champions of Assange, uh, and it's really been a noble effort. I, I, I got to think that you must be getting some pushback because you're dealing with some very heavy, powerful entities. Do you get pushback at all? Yeah, sure. I mean, I, I'm, I'm, it's not, I don't receive any direct threats so far. Um, uh, but, uh, you know, the messaging is, is very clear. I mean, I don't receive uh, a, a lot of funding, you know, that, uh, you know, some of the funding has been withdrawn that states had previously provided to my mandate for the research so I could do research about, you know, violations of the, the torture prohibition. Um, um, I, I can see that, you know, that, that, that my career options certainly uh, will not benefit from this. Uh, but, you know, all of this is really not, not, not that important because I think what's important is that when you're in a position like this and uh, you get access to all of this information and you get access to this case and you actually understand what's going on, I think my, my duty is to, to inform the public. First, to engage with governments and you know, to call them out and to ask them to, to you know, change their course and to provide redress. But if they don't, then we have a serious problem. I wanted to ask you about uh, the COVID threat. You asked for the government of uh, Great Britain to release him because of that. Uh, also, the news is that Trump may pardon him. I think that's apocryphal. Uh, but just in a minute and a half, could you summarize what your thoughts are about that and what the implications are if Julian Assange, to free press, the whole concept, if he is indeed extradited and sent to the U.S., convicted and sent to prison? Well, clearly, to, to me, there is no way this extradition trial could, uh, could result lawfully in an extradition. Because, first of all, he's accused of espionage, which is a political offense. And, you know, extraditions for political offenses are prohibited. Um, I, as I said before, I don't expect him to receive a fair trial at the espionage court in, in Alexandria. Um, I, I don't expect him to get humane treatment, uh, with the sanctions that he's likely to, to receive. Um, so all of this uh, results in an assessment that there's no way we can extradite him you know, uh, lawfully to the United States. Um, 
I, his current conditions of detention are dire. As I said, you know, he, he would deserve to be somewhere in house arrest. He has a family, he has two small kids. He's a journalist who just wants to do his job and inform the public about the misconduct of governments. Um, it's up to the governments to correct uh, their behavior. Uh, it's not, you know, it's not solved the problem when you suppress truth, but they really have to correct their government, uh, the governmental conduct. Um, so I, all on top of, of his solitary confinement and his dire health conditions, we have heard a, a few weeks back that COVID has uh, broken out in the very wing where he's being detained in Belmarsh prison. So now he's under complete isolation 24 hours a day, has no access to his family, and he's fr apparently freezing because the, the prison authorities are not even giving out his, his warm clothing that he would need in, in his cell. So he's, he has a pre-existing lung condition, respiratory condition, so that puts him in actual life danger. And uh, so I intervened with the government and asked for his immediate release or transfer to a house arrest setting. And I, I also think that, you know, as you just mentioned now, uh, there, it's, it's a period where President Trump might uh, uh, pardon certain individuals, uh, just like Edward Snowden or, or Julian Assange. And I can only call on him to do precisely that because President Trump, I'd like to remind him, has uh, always uh, claimed that he will clean up uh, uh, you know, corruption in the establishment, that he is against the misconduct of governmental uh, powers. And therefore, uh, clearly, uh, Julian Assange is doing precisely that, defending precisely these values. And if uh, President Trump is true to his values, I think the, the, the least thing he could do is to end the suffering of Julian Assange, to pardon him. This man has suffered enough for the interest of the public around the world. Sir Melzer, thank you for all the uh, work that you have done uh, in support of Julian Assange and for those suffering uh, from abuse and torture and uh, other uh, misbehavior by governments uh, around the world. Uh, folks, uh, I'm Randy Credico. This is Randy Credico Live on the Fly here on WBAI 99.5 FM. Also, Assange Countdown to Freedom. Uh, see you next week. But we're going to go out with a, a, a special version of uh, Bob Pincero. Uh, from the Buku by Giuseppe Verde. Uh, here's to the children of the world. These are the Cambodian and Tibetan children's choir. We'll see you next week.